So I spend a fair amount of time in my life with people in overwhelming moments and in crisis. Times where life is falling apart and chaos is surrounding and evil appears to be winning the day. Times when their foreseeable future looks bleak. Times where the overwhelming thoughts of the unknown lead to paralysis. It is often in those moments that people will cry out with questions. They long to know when the end of the trouble will come. What is this all for? Why is this happening? How is it going to end? The angel at the end of the book of Daniel has laid out the prophecy of what is to come. Hardship, evil running rampant, and mass destruction are surely in Israel's future. The announcement wasn't speculation, but the very word of God given by his messenger to the prophet Daniel. Last time we walked through the first part of Daniel chapter 12 where the angel is wrapping up the prophecy of the end of times, and we read this beginning in verse 1 of chapter 12. At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands watch over your people, will rise up. There will be a time of distress such as never has occurred since nations came into being until that time. But at that time, all your people who are found written in the book will escape. Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. Those who have insight will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Verse four says, but you, Daniel, keep these words secret and seal the book until the time of the end. Many will roam about and knowledge will increase. Now that's quite a bit to take. Dr. Pentecost made a comment about these verses and he says, understandably, Daniel and his immediate readers could not have comprehended all the details of the prophecies given in this book. Not until history continued to unfold would many be able to understand these prophetic revelations. But God indicated that an increased understanding of what Daniel had written would come. People today, looking back over history, can see the significance of much of what Daniel predicted. And in the time of the end, the words of this book that have been sealed, have been kept intact, will be understood by many who will seek to gain knowledge from it. This will be in the tribulation. He concludes with this, as even though Daniel's people may not have fully understood this book's prophecies, the predictions did comfort them. They were assured that God will ultimately deliver Israel from the Gentiles and bring her into his covenanted promises, end quote. You and I today are constantly bombarded with the possibility of destruction. Even now, many are running crazy as if the whole world is falling apart right before them. Admittedly, the present can be scary. In fact, it really can seem as if the whole world is plotting against you. And these difficulties of life bring about questions. The scary things that we see and that are foretold about, they lead us to ask questions. If you haven't heard it through this, this series on Daniel, the reason why we study prophecy, even though we can't understand every bit of it, is because it does bring us comfort. It reminds us of the God who put his bow in the sky as a promise to, to never allow the earth to be destroyed that way again. There's a reminder that he is in control, and no matter the strains of life, 
we can trust him because he has a plan. With that in our minds and our hearts, we come to the final verses of the book of Daniel where we find a question and answer session with angels about what has been prophesied. Verse 5, Daniel chapter 12. He says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and two others were standing there, one on this bank of the river and one on the other. One of them said to the man dressed in linen who was above the water of the river, How long until the end of these wondrous things? Then I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the water of the river. He raised both of his hands toward heaven and swore by him who lives eternally that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people is shattered, all these things will be completed. Before we go on, we've mentioned this a number of times in our current series, but to remind you again, we typically get a number of things wrong about angels. In my observation, while we know they have power, in fact, I'm pretty sure that if I encountered an angel, I would be one that they would have to say, do not be afraid to, just like others in Scripture. But we often treat them as deity. And that is not correct. They are limited in their power. They are created beings as well. They're limited in their knowledge. And it seems clear that they are inquisitive like us too. Here's an example. 1 Peter 1.12 says this. It says, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Angels don't know everything. They are messengers. And Daniel finds himself watching two other angels join in this conversation and listening to the chief angel, and one of them asked the question about the end of times. Let's read that again in verse 6. One of them said to the man dressed in linen who was above the water of the river, how long until the end of these wondrous things? He simply wants to know how long these astonishing things that were just told to Daniel are going to last. When is it going to end? The chief angel answers, verse 7 again, Then I heard the man dressed in linen, who was above the water of the river. He raised both of his hands toward heaven and swore by him who lives eternally that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people is shattered, all these things will be completed. This time would be three and one half years. Time, times, and half a time. We've talked about that before. Three and a half years. As we discussed before also, this is the last half of the 70th week of Daniel. Let's remember the chart that we looked at uh, a few weeks ago. Beginning uh, on the chart, it says seven weeks, 62 weeks. That's the first 69 weeks. We have the church age, which we're in now. And then we have the last week, the last uh, of the 70 weeks, split in half, three and a half and three and a half years. And we're speaking now of the last three and a half years. The messenger, when he makes this statement of time, times, and a half a time, he then makes another disheartening statement showing the gravity of the times to come. 
When the power of the holy people is shattered, all these things will be completed. Let's listen to Dr. Pentecost again from his notes on this section. He says, though this final ruler will, be, will reign for seven years, the first half will be a time of comparative peace for Israel. They will be enjoying the benefits of the covenant this king will make with them. Israel will be a land of unwalled villages and a land in which the people will be without walls and without gates and bars. But the Antichrist will break that covenant near the middle of the 70th seven of years. Then the king of the south and the king of the north will invade Israel. After destroying these two armies, the Gentile king, the Antichrist, will move into the Israel, occupy the land, and set up his political and religious headquarters in Jerusalem. He will reign in Jerusalem as king and God and will become the greatest persecutor of Israel, greatest persecutor Israel has ever known. Israel's power will be broken by his ruthless power. And then at the end of the tribulation, all these things, the events seen in chapter 11, verse 40 to 45, will be completed. To give us some more idea about the tribulation period, to show us how difficult it will be, Dr. David Jeremiah has a number of questions and answers on his blog about the tribulation, and I want to read a couple of answers uh, from a couple of questions for you. First question is, what will happen on earth during the tribulations? Dr. David Jeremiah says, God's anger will burn against the wicked and signs of Christ's coming will appear. During the last three and a half years, the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be empowered to sit at the center of the tribulation's evil as he personifies Satan. And then answering the question, what natural disasters will occur during the tribulation? Does the sun will turn black, the moon will turn red, and earthquakes will be common. Great earthquakes will be common, Revelation 6.12. The stars will fall out of the sky, Revelation 6.13. The mountains and islands will move, Revelation 6.14. The ocean will become blood, Revelation 8, 8, 9. The water will become poisoned, Revelation 8, 10 through 11. Sounds fun. A few weeks ago, my men's group were walking through the study of Daniel, doing the study guide, and one of the guys remarked, he says, I sure hope my theology understanding is correct about the rapture of the church. Boy, me too. Go back to that chart again. I'm really hoping the rapture of the church is in that moment, right before those last seven years. There is certainly room for some discussion about the timing of the end events, but I am hoping that the premillennial pre-tribulation understanding of the church being captured at this point before the 70th week is correct. I really do not want to be here. But for now, since we don't know all things, I desire to live in such a way to follow my Lord faithfully no matter the circumstances. I have been given everything I need for life and for godliness by the grace of Jesus. I have already won eternity. Amen. So now Daniel has been shown these astonishing visions of future events, but he hasn't been given every detail. We have the revelation given to John that gives us a few more bits of information, but we still have questions too. Daniel has labored over the meaning and times, and like we have seen before, he does not understand. And one last recorded time, the prophet asked the messenger for, for clarification, and he says in verse 8, I, I heard, but I did not understand. 
So I asked, my Lord, what will come? What will be the outcome of these things? What will be the outcome of these things? Gleason Archer states this, as this verse relates how confused and nonplussed Daniel became as he tried to unravel and sort out all of these predictions. It was only natural for him to ask for clearer details regarding these mystifying prophecies. His particular concern was doubtless directed toward the ultimate misfortunes of the covenant people of God, especially in view of the intimidating language of verse 7. Will they survive after their power was broken, or will they go under as a nation in their futile struggle for truth? The prophet has legitimate concerns and questions about the people of God and the things that would happen at the end. And like we mentioned before, when the things of life engulf us, there are questions. And with all that the prophet Daniel has been shown, he is simply desiring to understand and know more about the outcome in a clearer way. The messenger gave an answer in two parts. And verse 9 through 12 contains the first part of his answer to Daniel's question. Verse 9 says, He said, Go on your way, Daniel, for the words are secret and sealed until the end, until the time of the end. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. None of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. From the time the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Happy is the one who waits for and reaches 1,335 days. Okay, now, <clears throat> the angel starts with a command for Daniel to continue on with his life. Go. Go on your way. Don't worry about all of this completely yet. The words are being kept safe, and they will be useful. They will be useful at the time of the end. And then the, the, the angel encouraged the prophet a little bit. He, he made it clear that during, during the horrendous time of the end, there will be many who are purified, cleansed, and refined. Salvation will come to many, even in the midst of of so much trouble. There's still hope for those who respond to the word of the Lord. The angel also makes it clear that the wicked will continue and not understand what is happening. If you think the chaos that surrounds the current climate change alarmist debacle of our day is tense and maddening and confusing, just think for a moment what is going to happen to wicked people when the ocean is turning to blood. It will not be pretty. And after this bit of insight, the angel gives more information about the number of days of when these things will happen. Verse 11, from the time the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Happy is the one who waits for and reaches 1,335 days. Okay, now I'm confused. The angel just said a few lines before that the time would be a time, times, and half a time. And if I take 30-day months, 
which would be the normal understanding from the reading, times 12, that equals 360. 360 times 3.5 is 1,260 days or 42 months. This time of 42 months is confirmed in Revelation. Revelation 11.2 says, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Revelation 13.5 says, the beast was given a mouth to utter boasts and blasphemies. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. So why is there a difference of 30 days? And then the angel adds more. Happy is the one who waits for and reaches 1,335 days. What? I mean, is this like that funny math going on in our day where people don't know that $500 million divided by 327 million people equals just under $1.53 per person? Some of you watch the news this week. I mean, that math problem seems simple enough. But I do not understand. I do not understand how the prophetic, te prophetic teaching of 3.5 years equals 1,290 days or 1,335 days. I do not know. And I feel a little bit better because it seems like I'm in good company. Doesn't seem like anybody does. To simplify some of what I've found from the scholars and their comments as they've wrestled with this for longer than I have and are way smarter than I, it appears that there may be some transition between the end of the tribulation period when Christ shows up to stop the madness and setting up his millennial kingdom. Now because God has never proved himself wrong to me through his scriptures, to me personally as I have, have walked with him, I am going to trust him and move forward and what he has for me today. And I'm gonna let all those numbers figure themselves out at the end of time. This is actually a bit of what the angel ended up telling Daniel at the end. It seems he knew that there might be more questions from the prophet, but the last recorded statement in the book, from the, uh, the book of Daniel is the angel's second part of his answer to Daniel. In verse 13 he says, but as for you, Go on your way to the end. You will rest, and then you will stand to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of days. What would you think if, if you came to me with some questions about the chaos of life, and, and I simply made this following statement? Go to work. Take care of your family and your responsibilities. Then you're going to die and then it will all make sense later. <laughs> How would you respond to that? That's pretty much what the angel is telling Daniel here. After all the astonishing visions shown and told to Daniel, he's simply told to go about his business, that he will die, he's going to rest, and that he will be resurrected to stand again to receive an inheritance when it is time. I've mentioned this before, but my flesh doesn't necessarily like that statement so much. I want to know more. I want to know how to control all the situations and the people around me. But that isn't how the Lord works, is it? No, He calls us to live faithfully no matter how complete our understanding. 
We are to seek his wisdom in order to navigate life with grace and peace even on the darkest of days. You know, anytime that you attend a Q&A session, the goal is to come out on the other side with some insight on how to live better. And the question that should be on our hearts and minds in these learning moments is, what do I do now? What do I do now? What is it that needs to change in my life? What do I need to implement? How do I implement these truths that I just learned so that life is different now? Today is no different. Today is no different. We have listened to a Q&A with angels and the rest of Daniel's book about many wondrous things. What do we do with it? By faith, studying the words of prophecy given to Daniel, we are able to take his words to heart, be encouraged, and live out our days going about his business, sharing the hope that is within us. We get to be beacons of hope. We get to be beacons of hope. Let's take just a moment and think about that. We've talked about this, we've mentioned this a number of times. Chaos is surrounding us. There are glimpses of the future troubling times to come. There's sickness and then death and malnutrition and wars and floods and earthquakes. The list goes on and on and on. The question is, how are you doing shining as a beacon of hope? Personally, been confronted with this a lot lately. As I've wrestled through Daniel, so I've wrestled with some other text, I have found that I have been distracted by a number of life's details that have kept me from caring for others best. What's really frustrating, particularly in these moments, is that most of the distractions of my current life are good things. It's good times with Jenny and the kids. It's good, good times at work, the opportunity to, to, to stand and teach, the, the times that I'm having with my friends, laughing and sharing life together. But if I'm not careful, if I'm not careful, all of those good things in those moments, I can forget about the neighbor who needs Jesus. Otherwise, he will find himself in hell. The angel mentioned that during the tribulation that many will be purified, cleansed, and refined. On this side, on this side of the end of times, what about us who call in the name of Jesus? Are we being purified? Or are we letting our lenses get a little foggy? Are we letting our lenses get a little foggy? Lighthouses have had a significant impact for mariners to navigate safely home. And before the automation of most of the lighthouses, the important task of keeping that light on fell in the hands of the keepers. I want to read to you an excerpt about the, some of the early days of the keepers of the East Brothers Light Station, which sits on an island separating the San Francisco and San Pablo Bays. This is a little long, but bear with me. I just want to give a little details about the keepers' jobs. 
So to be qualified for the job, the keepers had to be able to read, write, and keep accurate records. They had to have enough physical strength and mechanical ability to maintain the buildings and equipment and make minor repairs. In the case of the East Brother Island, they also had to be able to row or sail a boat to and from shore. Their foremost duties were making sure that the light operated each night between sunset and sunrise and that the fog signal operated in times of fog. The nightly routine began at sunset when one of the keepers would fill the lamp reservoir with special high-grade lard oil. He then used a small hand lamp to light the circular wick. The flame was positioned low at first so that the glass chimney would not crack from a quick change of temperature. It took half an hour to bring the flame up to its full height of 1 and 13 sixteenth inches. On clear nights, the tiny flame could be seen a distance of 13 nautical miles. This distance was achieved due to the powerful lens which surrounded the lamp and focused the light. The lens was actually made up of over 50 different lenses and prisms set in a brass framework. Although the flame burned continuously, the light appeared to flash because the lens focused the light into separate, several separate beams radiating outward horizontally like the spokes of a wheel. The lens rotated slowly on a vertical axis powered by a clockwork mechanism. Mariners would see a flash every 30 seconds when a beam was cast in their direction. The light was watched continuously each night, with the work divided equally among keepers. The keepers kept an eye on the light from the small room immediately below the lantern, appropriately called the watch room. Periodically, the keeper on the duty cranked up the weight that powered the clockwork. He also had to wipe the glass panes of the lantern room regularly with dry towels to keep the glass free from moisture when the lens was in operation, a demanding chore in misty weather. At sunrise, the wick was turned down to extinguish the light and the apparatus readied for the next night. Keepers took special care of the delicate lens. Each, early each morning, the lens was cleaned with a feather brush to remove dust. It was then wiped with a soft linen cloth. Finally, it was polished with a buff skin. If oil or grease was spilled on any part of the lens, it was wiped off with a linen cloth moistened with spirits of wine. While working around the lamp and lens, keepers wore linen aprons and, to reduce dust and to prevent the lens from being scratched by wearing apparel and buttons. During the daytime, curtains were drawn in the lantern room to prevent discoloration of the lens by sunlight. A lot of care to take care of the light of a lighthouse, to make sure that the mariners were able to see the beacon and get safely home. As people called to be beacons of hope in a lost and dying world, we must continually wrestle with the Lord and learn in the midst of sometimes painful circumstances what it means to be purified. If our lens is dirty, how well are others guided to be are being guided to the safe harbor of Jesus' arms. At our recent men's breakfast, Jaber Muhammad shared with us about trusting Christ after a number of encounters with the people of God in his word. And he remarked about the fact that growing up as a Muslim, that many from the Islamic background actually view Hollywood in America as the epitome of Christian living. Of course, we, we know that that is not what a believer should look like, all of the values that are thrown around in Hollywood. But it is quite convicting to wonder how often my life may reflect more Hollywood-style living than what does honor the Lord. When I asked the question, 
What do I do now? In light of the prophecies that we have seen in Daniel, I must submit to the Lord and ask him to show me the wicked ways that cause the light to be dim. I need to see the places in my heart that make that lens a little foggy. And I need to confess to him those things. I need to seek his wisdom, walk in his truth, embrace purification, and share the hope of standing in his glory. We know the end of the story. Those who know Jesus have been given the eternal life because of his perfect love, that perfect love that drives out fear. We can stand firm now, knowing that we will stand firm in his presence then. Artist Shane and Shane have a song entitled Seas of Crimson, and I want to read a few lines of that song for you. For every curse, you're the cure. For every sickness, you're the healer. For every storm, you're the calm. For all that's lost, oh, what a Savior on that cross of Calvary. Every burden has been defeated, every wretched heart redeemed. You drown our sins in seas of crimson. Hallelujah, death is beaten. Christ has risen from the grave. Hallelujah, it is finished. All to you, the highest praise. Isn't that beautiful? Let's pray. Almighty God, I, I am thankful that we could come here today to be reminded of how awesome you are. That by the blood of your Son and his defeat of death, we who trust in him can walk in hope, learn to be more like you so that we reflect your glory instead of our own, and because of that, others' lives can be changed. That's what we get to do, Lord, and I'm thankful that you have chosen me and my brothers and sisters to be a part of helping people get back to you. Father, there's so many confusing things happening around us. There's so many confusing things even as we study your word. And yet every time we sit with you, We get to recognize the fact that you are God and that you are good and you are bigger than all of the things that we face. And like the prophet Daniel, we can go on our way, prepare for death because we know with your son Jesus we have eternal life. For those of you who know Jesus, I ask that you would spend a moment and check that lens. Ask the Lord to show you the wicked way that is within you if there is. Confess that sin. Embrace purification. 
If you're listening today and you don't know this Jesus, you don't know this hope, I exhort you to fall at His feet and trust Him. You do not, you do not want to spend an eternity without God. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in, the heart, with, in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you shall be saved. Father, we ask that that you would encourage our hearts. We ask that you would use every penny that goes into these offering plates today to help us be beacons of hope, to equip one another and encourage one another and to go out and to share the love of Jesus with those in this dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.